But uh, listen, I am glad to be able to be down with you. So for those of you that don't know me, I think everybody knows me. You know what I do. I run a, a Christian residential rehabilitation center for men coming from a background of addiction. Uh, we house 25 men up in Dublin in a, in a wonderful place called uh, Kiltalon Jobstown. Uh, just my friend who used to live there. Um, and uh, we've, been, we've been running since 2007. Uh, myself and Claire have been missionaries in Ireland since 2005. Um, I was obviously brought up in Ireland, brought up in Dublin, and I was a heroin addict that um, walked through the doors of a church. And uh, the preacher took me in to live in his home. I had been saved as a young fella at a holiday Bible club and uh, walked away from the church, walked away in God, and God drew me back through, uh, I suppose, a loving church uh, that loved on me that showed me that Christ can change somebody's life and that he is real. And they showed me real genuine love. They took an interest in a dirty, stinky, heroin addict like me who walked in the doors with needle marks in his arms. Um, you know, a bunch of Claire and three of the boys had COVID this week. And uh, I called John and I said, look, the family are sick, but I'm going to be here because they're, fin they're finished with it now. But uh, I didn't get it. I'm like, I never pick up anything like this. And uh, it's because when I was a kid, I would pick up chewing gum off the street and all that that was on the ground, dig it up with an ice pop stick that I found, I'd eat it. And just so you know, if you're ever interested, there is still flavor in it, <laughs> even though it's been on the ground for a long time. So I don't know whether it was that or the bins I used to eat out of or the 40 sandwiches I used to eat. But let me tell you, uh, I didn't get COVID this week. And it's either the prayers of God's people or it's uh, my past choices and my immune system. I'm not too sure. But uh, family are, are, are on the mend. O'Shane still has a headache, uh, but he is, uh, he is doing well. So family are good. All the boys are doing well. Uh, back in school, like all, all the kids here, Connor's doing his leaving cert this year. It's a bit of a shock. I, don't, I didn't realize I was that old. And Connor is coming up to being 18. And uh, it, is, uh, it is hard to take, I tell you. The years just go by, you know. I came to, back to Ireland in 2005. I was a young fellow with hair. And now I'm, now I'm not. And uh, it's just been different. But God's done a lot. It's been an amazing adventure walking with God. And, uh, you know, this, uh, this month we're going to lose a missionary in Ireland called Dan Perrow. Everybody know Dan Perrow? And listen, he has, been, he has given the best years of his life, the prime years of his life to the Irish people. And uh, him and Sharon will unfortunately be moving back to America at the end of the month. So we were down in Bray uh, Sunday before last with them to have a going away service because Dan has been up preaching for me every Monday at New Hope, singing with the men and preaching to the men every Monday since 2007, since the week I opened it. He's never asked me for petrol money. He's never, he's just always been there faithful. The men love him. So we went over, uh, we filled up his church. There wasn't a seat to be had. There was multiple people standing, standing room only. And uh, we had a great time with Pastor Dan. And then the church took all the men out for, uh, for Chinese to the restaurant. And uh, the men thought it was great. They're like, can we go traveling with you to churches every week? And, uh, <laughs> I'm like, it's not always like that. Calm down. And uh, so we had a good time, Pastor Dan. He is going away. But just to give you a small update on him, our church will be taking over his church in Bray. We will be providing, providing the music and the preachers uh, to keep the church open. Uh, the, the, the folks in the church, there's, there's a bunch of them and they're faithful and they're coming. So they've, they voted to try stay open 
and uh, and come under LifeGate. So for a time till Christmas or so, we'll see how things go. But pray for the church up there because there's not many missionaries coming. It's harder to come. And uh, if there's no missionaries coming, what are we going to do? Like, it's going to be the people in realms like this that's going to have to step up and do something different. And, you know, and, and, and that's, in a sense, what we heard a few minutes ago. So we're going to talk about that this morning because I've been thinking about Pastor Dan leaving and I haven't got time to get down there every Sunday and preach. So I'm committed to once a month. Okay, and even that's a push. You know, it's hard. It's not far from where we live, but it's it's still it's a big commitment. I'm I'm too busy as it is, but we need God to raise people up that are gonna, in a sense, step into that gap in, in churches. I mean, we we know Pastor Ledbetter is gonna live forever. And he's gonna be here forever, don't we? Um, well, that day is coming in every single church in my own church. Where's the next generation coming from? Are they being trained? Are they ready to step up? You know, and, and that's what we need. We need, we need to, our own people uh, to start getting involved in ministry and start being used of God. So give you an update, family. I give you an update on them. Pray for Lorcan. He is the little fella. He is 10. We still call him the baby, but he is 10, okay? And uh, he has epilepsy, and it's, it's pretty bad. He doesn't fall down. He just kind of stops and has a seizure standing up, but like he will have them every single day. So he is, he is a um, big thing from what we, we, our house is right at the park. So we're the first house at the park and, uh, and he used to love going out on his bike and stuff like that. But those days are gone. Can't go out on the bike, can't go on a scooter, which he liked. So we got him a little go-kart, which he's already grown out. So just so he's sitting down, but it's even that like, you're, you know, he will just freeze. So he'll be crossing the street and freeze and stand there for 40 seconds, you know, and it's, uh, it's kind of like that. So pray for him that he would, um, he would be healed, that God would, would see fit to, uh, to heal him um, because that's, that's really what's needed. He's been for all the tests. He's on the medication and all that kind of stuff, but it hasn't solved the problem. So that's Lorcan. Ministry is going well. Uh, we are totally full. Don't have a bed. If you're looking to get into New Hope and you phone me today, let me tell you, if you want to come in this week, you will have had to phone me in May. That's how long our waiting list is at the moment. So the guy we took in this week called in May and has been on our waiting list since May. What does that tell you? It tells you I don't have enough beds. It tells me that there's, there's such a great need out there for help that, uh, you know, we could if, if everybody left New Hope today, we could fill it tomorrow just from our waiting list. So the need is great. Uh, we have people from all over. Um, and it's, uh, we have a guy coming. Our next guy is actually coming from Cork. You just don't know him because he's been living outside of Cork. But he is from Cork, just so you know. His name is Paul. Uh, he will be next in, I believe. Um, we are praying about the opportunity that, that we might get to um, purchase through a, a government grant that we can tap into. Um, to buy a property down at the bottom of our field, which would give us, it's on a half an acre of land, um, and it would give us another five beds. It would be a separate house. Um, and the, the way the system works is the government for organizations like us to help people that are homeless and in addiction, they have a, a scheme that they are willing to buy a property. They don't give you money to run it or anything, but they will buy a building. And if I use that building for our charitable purpose for 30 years, 
they then sign it over to the charity after 30 years. So they've nothing got to do with a bar buying the building. And they know what we do and they're happy with what we do because we saved them a fortune. Because I house 25 men that if I wasn't housing them, they would be entitled to get, you know, happen. They'd be in homeless accommodation and all that kind of stuff. So we saved the government loads of money. For one guy in prison, it costs fifty-five to 75000 a year. Yeah, I'm housing 25 of them. So we saved my fortune. So uh, this would give us more bed spaces, which is important. Uh, so pray for us with that. We haven't had an answer yet, but we have been encouraged by the council to put in to buy it. And it is connected to our land. Um, so that's kind of, that's the update. Everything's going well. Um, we are, we are plowing ahead. We lost uh, one of our staff members this week, Paul Kelch. You as well know Paul, I'm sure. Uh, he is moving on. He's going to do something different. He wants to, it's a bit too much pressure, I think, uh, working in the, in the center. So he wants to go back to just driving. Um, so, you know, working at New Hope, being involved in full-time ministry every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, we don't close. Uh, it's a lot of pressure. And uh, he just feels like at this time he would like to move on and maybe just stay involved in a volunteer capacity. So we are praying about a new staff member. Pray for us for that because it's important that we have the right staff to lead the men because it's, you know, it's really, really important. So what I want to talk to you about this morning, if you find the book of 2 Timothy, uh, when I was here last, I believe I touched on this at the end of my message and I could even be totally wrong with that because of the memory of a fish. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few verses. And the idea is how, can, uh, how to be helpful to God. That's the idea. Very simple thought. Um, you know, we live in a, a world that is desperate for God but doesn't know it. We are tools in the hand of God uh, if you want to be used. Um, so how can you be helpful to God? Well, before we get going, um, yeah, that's where we're going to be. If you turn in your Bible to the book of Psalms chapter 90, I want you to look at verse 12 with me. And you probably heard this story before, but I'm, I'm going to read it to you anyway. Because, you know, we live in a day and age where everybody's busy. And I've just told you I'm busy. Um, but we live in a day and age where everybody's busy. We have things to do everything for us quicker, but we seem to be busier than ever. Okay? Um, Psalm verse 90, uh, Psalm 90 verse 12 says this. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So I just told you the great need. Another church is losing its pastor. A uh, ministry like mine has just lost a staff member. You know, there is a great need. To, there's a great need for ministry in Ireland. There's not enough churches. There's not enough people witnessing. There's not enough people getting saved. And... This verse tells us, because oftentimes it's, it's really about time management is why we don't have enough time to serve God. But this Bible verse tells us to teach us to number our days. So what's that give you the idea of? You need to be really mindful about how you use your time. Your time is the most precious thing you have. Let me give you a story I heard this morning on my way down. Uh, imagine you had a bank account that deposited 86,400 euro every morning into your account. The account carries over no balance from day to day. It allows you to keep no cash balance. Every evening, it cancels whatever part of the amount that you fail to use during the day. What would you do? 
You will draw out every euro every day. We all have a bank such as this. It's called time. Every morning, it credits you with 86,400 seconds. Every night, it writes off everything that's left or you fail to use wisely. It carries over no balance from day to day. It allows no overdraft that you can borrow against it to use more time than you have each day. The account starts fresh each morning. Each night, it's, it's over. It starts again the next day. It destroys any unused time. If you fail to use the day's deposits, it's your loss and you can't appeal to get it back. You see, time is one of those things that we have that you will never have enough of. But you do have a certain amount every day. And I know people feel pressured and there's kids and there's work and there's everything else that goes along with having, look, I have five children. They're at different football events. They're at school runs. There's everything going on, church, all that kind of stuff is going on. It's busy. But you know what? We need to make sure that we are numbering our days, that we are including God in what we do, that God is an integral part of our time management each week. You know what? If you set out, when guys are getting to the place in my ministry where they're about to start working or they're, or they're moving on to one of the step-down houses, we get them to do a weekly timetable, Monday to Sunday, and they have to account for what they're going to do on those days. So they will put their work slots in. They will put their devotional time in. They will put what they're going to do in the evenings, church time on a Wednesday, or you on a Friday, church on a Sunday. And they need to plan out and plot so they structure their time. If they don't, they will end up using their time unwisely. And uh, it will just filter away. So I want them to plan their time. It doesn't mean you can't have free time. It doesn't mean you can't have downtime. It doesn't mean you don't have fun times because that's really important. But where does God fit into our timetable? Where does God fit into our weekly uh, events? Is it just, you know, it's Sunday morning, so that's the most. I have to get to Sunday morning unless I'm working. Well, if, it's, if church becomes something that's on a timetable that you have to go to, you've lost the essence of what church is really all about. So let's get back to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you would, with me. And uh, we're going to start in verse, uh, in verse 19. 2 Timothy 2 verse 19 and uh, and it says this it says um, nevertheless the foundation of God standeth sure having this seal the Lord knoweth them that are his let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity you know to name the name of Christ or to be a Christian means that there's an expectation that there has been a change in your life since you've been saved because somebody as big as God can't move into your life and nothing change and nothing happen. You know, we become different when God moves in. You know, we don't really, you know, when I'm thinking, when I think back about when I was a heroin addict, and the pastor took me in, they detoxed me in the preacher's house, and then he sent, he sent me across to this um, Christian drug rehab on a farm in Scotland. And uh, when I got there, I remember, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a week drug-free, I'm a week clean, and uh, I was going over to an 18-month program, and uh, I was like, well, why do I need 18 months in a program somewhere? And uh, they're like, listen, it takes a lot of time to really change. And uh, I'd never had a job. I'd never done anything like that before. I'd just been a, really a drug addict and a messer the whole time. And um, 
you know, for me, I didn't just need to learn some skills. I needed to relearn how to live life. And I didn't notice myself changing because we don't really see ourselves changing in the mirror, don't we? Now, you know, I'm telling you that I've just realized that Connor's 18. I didn't realize that as he was growing up in a sense. It's just day-to-day happening. You see yourself in the mirror and you don't realize that you're getting older. Maybe some of you still, I don't know. But, but uh, you're, you don't realize because you see yourself all the time. It's not easy to see change. And sometimes you meet somebody and they say, man, you're different. And it was like that when my family saw me. But it wasn't me that changed me. You see, it was God working in my heart. In a sense, when I say my heart, I mean my thinking. God changing the way I viewed the world, changing the filter I saw the world through um, as I walked with him. And you see, as I start walking and living as a Christian, there was an expectation that my life lined up with Christ as a Christian. Now, um, does that mean that when Leighton went and he got right with God, he became perfect? Absolutely not. But I was very different than I used to be. And the things I used to do, you know the song, I don't do them anymore. Have I got the ability to do them? Yes, I still have free will. I can do whatever I want. But God has changed my view of now there's not an appetite. Now there's not a desire. As a matter of fact, now there's a hatred of things that I used to love to do. And when God moves in and he is, uh, he is, he is such, he is the creator of the world. I was going to say he's such a big God as if there's any other. But he is so big that we sometimes forget when we pray, when we're singing, when we're preaching about how big and powerful God really is and how big and powerful he can be in our lives. You know, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You know, God will always make a change when he moves in. And sometimes God made a change in your life and you got saved and you'd been walking with God and then you kind of, you know, I suppose wandered away. You got a little bit cold, got a bit, little bit distant. You kind of stopped doing what you used to do. Life got a, got a hold of you. Difficulties maybe come in and you've been walking afar off. But let me encourage you. Uh, if that's you this morning, you know you can come back. You just come back to God, get close to him, draw in, start doing the things that you used to do again, get back in church get back in your Bible, get back praying, get around people that will help you prosper because sometimes we're around the wrong people. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, in Philippians 2 verse 12, it says this, it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He says this, Paul says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So there was a time that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, and what does he tell them? He tells them to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, what does that mean? You know what? We're talking about being, uh, let everyone that, that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If you're not sure that you're saved, you need to figure that out. If you're not sure you're a Christian and you have doubts, listen, you can be saved and have doubts. Don't get me wrong. But you need to figure that out. That's an important issue. Because if you're not sure, you're going to be very double-minded. And what does the Bible say about a double-minded man? He's, he, he's unstable in all his ways. You're kind of like you're drunk. You're kind of staggering around. 
it's very easy to be pushed one way or another when you don't know who you really are. And that's why it's important that your identity is grounded in the foundation of who you are. And if you are a Christian, uh, people should know it. People should know it, not by just because you say it. People should know it by what they view in your life, how you talk, how you hold yourself, how you respond in difficulties. People should know it. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's an important issue. Let's look at verse 19. We're going to dissect and define some of these verses. Uh, it says, the foundation of God standeth sure. You know what? What does a foundation do? It's what we start off building from, isn't it? And in any relationship, in anything that we do, God is the foundation that we work from. And everything else gets built upon his foundation. He is the foundation. And it says, uh, it goes on in, uh, in verse 20, but in a great house there is not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth. So it goes on to talk about, in a sense, the picture of a great house, you know, it's a church, a system of Christianity, and it talks about two kinds of vessels, gold and silver and earth and uh, wood and earth. And, you know, there are vessels of honor uh, and vessels of dishonor. You know what? In any setting, you're going to find that there's ones that are going on for God that carry a lot of stuff, and then there's other ones that, you know, sometimes are there, they're not saved, or they're saved, and they're just not actively... Um, living, producing the, the fruit of the Spirit, and I actively walk with God at the time. But let me encourage you. Each one of us, we're in a mission field country, and we need to make sure that we are vessels of honor that God can use. We need to get to the place where we are, are usable to God, available to Him, that He can say to us, go give that fella a leaflet, or go share something with that fella, or give that, give that lady a Bible verse. Or whatever, you know, uh, if, if, you, if you're like me and you're around people of the world a lot of the time, and, and I am, you know, um, and I'm sure it's the same down here. People blaspheme God's name a whole lot where I am. Now, obviously, it's against the rules of New Hope. I'll make you write out the book of James for it. Okay, uh, just give somebody the book of James this week. They have to write down every verse, every comma, every full stop. Uh, all of them are important, by the way. Um, but that's what we do. If somebody has a problem with their tongue, we get them to write out the book of James. Um, so, um, you know, what I would say is, there's a, you know, people using bad language and all that. You know, when they use God's name, sometimes it's, it's real interesting. Even just turn around and say, oh, you know who God is too. I'm a Christian. You know, and it just opens up a conversation. You know, sometimes I'll talk about, you know what, I'm going to have to start the swear jar in here and you're going to have to start paying money and we'll give it to charity or something like that. So wherever I go, I'm trying to change the conversation to that which one might open a little door to, to share the gospel with somebody or share a verse with somebody or share my testimony with somebody just to be always on the lookout, always available. And it's not always easy. But God wants us to be vessels that he can use. But it goes on to say this. Uh, I want you to look at verse 21 with me. It says this. Uh, if a man, therefore, what's the next word? That doesn't seem like a nice word at all, doesn't it? The purge something. But it says, if a man, therefore, purge himself. So in a sense, God wants to help you get right. But he makes us responsible for a lot of that. 
he makes us responsible for that being willing. We're not always able, but he wants us to be willing. Willing participants in walking with him. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified, and me for the, what's the next word? Master's use and prepared unto every good work. You know, uh, the word porch just sounds rough. Um, but the porch, well, what does it mean? It means to, in a sense, to clean out completely. And, you know, all of us have a room at home or a drawer at home or a shed at home that's full of junk. Don't we, you know, you have that rubbish drawer, you have something, you stick it in there and you think, I'm going to get back to that one day. Uh, you just throw it in the shed or whatever and you try close the door. Uh, all of us have one of those things in our houses, one of those rooms that we, uh, when people come in, we're trying to close the door so nobody sees. Sorry if I'm triggering you off. Some of you just need to go home and clean your houses after church. Um, but uh, but uh, all of us have those, those places. Well, in a sense, that's what God's telling us. God's saying a man must purge himself. He needs to get right completely. You need to stand completely clean. And, you, you know, we all need those clean out moments where we just, we stop. We ask the Lord to examine ourselves. Isn't that what David done? What did he say? Search me, O God. What did he say? And know my thoughts. Why did David have to ask God to tell him what he was thinking? Because we lie to ourselves even. David couldn't even trust himself. And if he was here, we'd have him doing the music and doing the preaching this morning. I'd sit down. You know what? But he even said, listen, God, I need you to search me because, look, I'm... I'm not always getting the right, and I, I can't even be trusted, to be honest with myself or you. And um, it got, it, our, our passage goes on a little bit. Um, so Paul's warning Timothy, and, and part of it is he's warning him to separate himself from people that would be teaching wrong, wrong doctrine and stuff like that, because he doesn't want them getting influenced in the wrong way. And we need to be careful about the people we let influence us. Because the people you're around will, will, in a sense, shape who you become. And you all know that because if you have children or you've had children, you know that often your children's friends will dictate what they're like. Isn't that true? What's the one thing as a parent you're always trying to do? Make sure your kids have good friends, isn't it? I'm the exact same, you know. And, um, you know, because I run the men's home and all that, I deal with, with bad stuff all the time. You know what? My poor children nearly have to go through the program, except it's a lifelong program, okay? And it's not so easy for them. And it's because I'm so aware of some of the dangers that are out there. It's hard for my children, okay? Um, and listen, it's, it's, it's hard for me, but it's hard for them. They have to live with me. Um, but what Paul's doing is he's trying to encourage Timothy, you need to be careful with the people that are around us. Some people you're going to have to get rid of out of your life. Some people aren't going to be good for you. You're going to have to separate yourself from them. And we're like that too. There are people sometimes in our lives that aren't good for us that we need to move away from. And you know what? We want to get around some people that are going to encourage us on, that are going to help us. So they're going to encourage us to be more for God than we could be in our own that we mightn't go out witnessing on our own. But I know if I go down and I'm around, let's say, Bill, because Bill's name was on the, on, the, on the screen, I know Bill will go with me and he will teach me or he'll help me to go and be a witness or whatever that is. You know, 
um, whatever you're trying to do, go around somebody that can encourage you and help you with that. So let's look at verse 21. If a man therefore shall porch himself of these, he shall be a vessel uh, unto honor, sanctified, me for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Because God has a plan to use your life. You are a vessel that God can use, but he needs you to be a vessel of honor. He needs you to be holy. He needs you to be separated. As a matter of fact, he uses a, a Bible word. What's the word there? It's a, it begins with S. What's the word? Sanctified. And we don't use that too often down in Cork, do we? Maybe in church on a Sunday, but we don't really use it that often in a normal day-to-day -day living. But what does it mean? Separated or set apart for a holy use, isn't it? It's something that we're going to use for holy use. So in a sense, you know, you want your church uh, room where we're preaching this morning. I would hope that last night there wasn't a rock band or a horror movie being shown, you know. Because when I come in here, I'm coming into me here with God. And it's not that the room does anything, but in a sense, it needs to be, it needs to be different. You know, there, there's a church down in Tala where I'm from. And they meet in the cinema. And it always creeps me out. I'm glad that they're meeting somewhere. But it always creeps me out that it's like, what was on that screen that they're all worshipping in front of, in a sense, the night before? And I don't know about you, but these things freak me out. And, uh, you know, uh, God wants us to be vessels of honor, sanctified, in other words, set apart for his use. But it says this, meet for the master's use. It doesn't say just me for God's use or me to be a blessing. It doesn't just say to be a blessing. It gives you, it describes a relationship that we should have with God and it describes God as being our master. What does that mean? It doesn't say father there. It doesn't say, you know, uh, anything else. It says master. So what does that mean? I don't know if any of you remember, but when I think of stuff like this, master and slaves and all that, I remember when I was a kid, there used to be this TV show, Grandma, called Roots. Does anybody remember that? <laughs> no, I'm the only one. Some of you are nodding your heads. And it was about uh, America and the black slaves and the slave masters. They were terrible, cruel, and Chicken George and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that gives you the real picture of master. Now, is God like that with us? No. Why? Because he's loving. He knows what's best for us. He knows how much potential each one of us has if we were to walk with him and be used of him. You see, he sees the end from the beginning. And God knows that if you would be surrendered, if you would be separate, if you would be that vessel of honor that he could use, he knows what he could do with your life. He could do marvelous, great things with your life. Listen, when I lived in Scotland and I was drug-free about a year, year and a half, finished the program, you know, I was wanting to get a job. I went to college and done social care in college. And uh, I'd left school when I was 13, so it was a big deal going back to college. Um, and I'd done social care and I worked, went to work for the government over in Scotland and hostels and stuff like that. And I was happy. I had seen God do the, the transform my life. I felt like God had changed me. I was in church. I was serving in the youth group and churches, doing all that. At the prayer meeting, Bible study, I was at everything, and everything was good. But you know what? God wanted me to do that bit more. And at one point in my life, he put his finger on me in a missions conference, 
and encouraged me to go into full-time ministry and trust him to do it. And listen, I didn't have any intention. I didn't know anything about it. And the truth is I'd never even preached one message before at the time. I was a young guy serving in my church and just wanting to follow God. And I was, in a sense, you know, uh, trying, trying my best to live as a Christian. And God put his hand on me and he said, Leighton, I want something more for you. I want you to do more. Now, he could have used me and the job I was in and the place I was in uh, to reach people, be a witness. And that's what God needs. God needs plumbers. He needs electricians. Uh, he needs, you know, bus drivers. He needs somebody in everywhere working in the restaurants, talking to people. God wants people everywhere. Everybody's not called to be in full-time ministry. But we are all called to be an ambassador. We are all called to be somebody that can share the gospel, somebody that speaks for God in a sense. We, are, we belong to the master. That's the term that's used. And we need to be me for the master's use. God owns us. We are his. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, uh, which is in you, uh, which ye have of God, and ye are not your... What's the next word? Own. You're not your own. I know you think you own you, but you don't. He's saying, I owned you. Why? For you are bought with a price. What was the price? 50 euro, 60 euro? It was the death of his only begotten son on a cross. That's how valuable you are. And sometimes we think, oh, what could I do? You know, not even the best speaker. Look up here. I left school when I was 14. And some of you are saying, I know, we can tell. <laughs> but the reality is, God's not looking for this perfect person that he can use. He's looking for somebody that's willing. And you have to, it's not just I'm willing, so, you know, here, you're now the pastor of Open Bray. That's not what it is. But you're now willing. Are you willing to get sanctified? Are you willing to be a vessel of honor that God can use? Are you willing to, not perfect, but are you willing to go down and be all that God would have you to be? You belong to God. It doesn't always sit well with us. But I am his and he is mine. God has to, God has taken a personal interest in my life. And if you're a Christian this morning, the God of heaven that created the entire world, that created all the stars in the sky, knows your name has an intimate, personal uh, investment in your life. And he believes and knows that you belong to him. Sometimes we don't know our own identity. You are gods if you're a Christian. You belong to God. I didn't say you are gods, by the way, just in case you're not gods, okay? But you belong to God. He is, he is your master. And we need to humbly come before him and say, God, I'm willing to do whatever you'd have me to do. And I know that's a little bit scary, but this week, God, would you please try use me this week? Would you help me to be used? Would you give me, you know, somebody this week that I could actually invite to church? And if that's your prayer every morning, I, I don't doubt for a minute that God will present you with an opportunity to speak up this week if that's your heart. If you're willing to be a vessel used of God, God will use you. Am I prepared? 
Am I in a place where God can use me? Am I available to the Lord? I hope you're going to get there. Second Corinthians 5.20 tells us that we're now ambassadors for Christ. We talked about that a minute ago. Let's look at verse 22. We'll, we'll go down and we'll, we'll try go a bit quicker. It tells us that we, first of all, we must purge ourselves, but then it tells us we need to flee and follow. And uh, 22, flee also youthful lusts. We'll follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace. But then the call on the Lord of a pure heart. So is this just for the, the young people? Is this not for the older people? Because it's only the young people that would have youthful lusts, isn't it? No. What does that mean? Does anybody know what that means? What's youthful lusts? Because I spent some time exploring that uh, this week when I was studying. And it's the strong, uncontrolled desires of youth. Do you remember that? You know, when you were a teenager, you, you thought different than you think now, hopefully. And hopefully you don't have the same problems you had a, that you had as a teenager now as you're an adult. But sometimes we do. You know, uh, why is, uh, why is uh, young men, why do young men pay more for car insurance than, than young women do? Why? Because the brain only really develops in a male when he's about 23. Then you're... Your, your frontal lobe kind of is, is formed, 23, 25. So you make more rash, rash, rash decisions in a sense. You're more risky. And that's why it costs more for insurance. Um, that doesn't mean girls are all perfect and proper, just so we know, okay? Um, but the reality is that uh, the, when you're young, you make bad choices. You make rash decisions. You do stuff when you're young that you shouldn't do. And, uh, you know, when you get older, you're, you're trying to keep your kids from making the same mistakes that you made, isn't it? But Paul tells us, flee also youthful lusts. Those desires that you, should, you had when you were younger. He says, don't, don't go that way. Don't follow after them. But follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You know what? There's in a sense... In your life, when you're coming to the place where you want to be a vessel of honor for God, there's a sense that you need to put away some stuff, flee some stuff, and you need to start following something different. You need to start following after a different set of priorities. And, uh, and look at verse 23. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they gender strifes. You know, uh, we will have people at New Hope that ask questions that they don't want the answer to. So they'll ask silly questions. They're not, what are they looking for? They're looking for an argument. Well, I don't know about you, but in all my years in ministry, and it's been since 2005, so I don't know how many years that is. It was a long time ago. Um, I have never been able to reach somebody with the gospel by arguing them into getting saved. I've never had that when I've had a, a, an argument with somebody about the gospel, about the Bible. They have never said, you know what, Layton, you are absolutely right. I am totally wrong. And how do I get saved? It's just never worked like that. But sometimes as Christians, we think we're argumentative. You know, we spend more times on forums and making comments on Facebook and these other things as if somebody's going to get saved through it. They're not. We just spend time and we waste time. Let me encourage you. Your time would be better spent doing something different. If you're not looking for an answer, don't ask the question. But there's no wrong question to ask if you need an answer. So I would encourage you, if you're struggling with something in your Christian life, you go speak to somebody that's a, somebody that's a discipler in your church, a more experienced man or more experienced lady, 
and ask them the question, genuinely ask them the question. Because don't get stuck with something rolling around your head that you're not getting past. Go speak to pastor. Go, go work it out. God is able to answer your questions, by the way. So I want us to take the next three verses. We're going to finish with them, but we're going to take the next three as a block, and we will work our way down through them. And I do believe I've done this last time I was here, but I think it's valuable because it's a follow-on of what we are looking at. And it says this. It says, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, uh, patient, um, but gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. It's a powerful few verses that follows on from the verses about being a vessel of honor, about being used of God, about fleeing the old life, embracing the new, getting around the right people, getting around, being righteous, being sanctified, all that kind of stuff. And then he goes into and basically breaks down the formula of what you're going to do and how you're going to do it in certain, in certain cases. So let's dissect and define it for a minute. That just means breaking it open. We'll see what, what, it, what it's talking about. Um, so it starts off and, uh, you know, always remember that God is looking. Um, God has a plan and a purpose. And he is wanting us to get on board with his plan. He doesn't get on board with our plans. When you come to God with a plan, you say, God, this is what I want to do. God never sits back and says, you know what? You know what? I never thought about that. That's a great idea. You know what? God's wanting you to get in tune with what he wants to do in your life. The world we not, will not be reached by us getting a few more missionaries coming over. And listen, I, I hope they come over. But our, our country won't be reached by a few more missionaries traveling over. There's more leave that, than come over nowadays. How will it be reached if it's going to be reached? You see, God could have um, sent angels and all that. Imagine if God sent angels down, you know, big flaming swords and all that kind of stuff, floating around telling people about who God is. God could have done that. God could have even done a big advertisement that, you know, every couple of years he shows up in the sky and tells everybody who he is, does a few miracles and stuff like that. So everybody believes that God is real and that he made the world. He could have done that, couldn't he? But he didn't. What did he do? He sends us. Now, just like the 12, if I was God and I was picking 12 or I was picking a bunch of people, don't get offended, but I wouldn't be picking none of us. I would be going to the most talented, the most educated, uh, the most best looking, and some of you are in here, okay? Uh, but I would be going to the best of the best. But Jesus didn't do that, did he? God doesn't do that. Why? God takes the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. God doesn't send down big, muscly angels that can, you know, shoot fireballs and have big flaming swords. God sends normal Joso people, plumbers, plasterers, electricians, uh, housewives, you know, shopkeepers, fishermen. That's who God uses. Well, that means that God could use you. So in verse 24, it introduces you to a man, and there's four people in the passage, and the first one we're introduced is the servant of the Lord. Now, like I said, that can be any one of us. You, you know, as a Christian, you are a servant of God. God wants to use you. It says the servant of the Lord, and it tells the first thing the servant of the Lord must not do. And what is it? The servant of the Lord must not 
strive. What does that mean? Argue. Don't be arguing. Again, you won't argue people into the into the kingdom. It just won't work like that. You know, uh, people don't respond to that, and um, that's not going to work. Uh, you won't argue people uh, into getting saved. It just doesn't work like that. Sometimes do you have to uh, explain what stuff means? Absolutely. But for you when you're given the gospel, if it gets into an argument, you're much better off just walking away and leaving it in God's hands. The servant of the Lord, that's all of us, must not strive. Don't be fighting. Don't be argumentative with people. Uh, don't be standing, beating your you know, chest, thinking you know everything. You know, when you're dealing with somebody, you're dealing with somebody that the Bible tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not, least that they see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who was in the image of God should shine unto them. So when you're dealing with somebody that's not saved, you're dealing with somebody that's often been blinded by the devil. What you're saying doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You know, it's like you're banging your head off a wall and we're going to see what's needed. And you can have the best gospel plan there is. But if the ingredient isn't there that's needed, you're banging your head off a wall. The servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle unto all men. Say that word gentle with me. Say gentle. Gentle. Even saying the word is nice, isn't it? Gentle. It's just a nice word. You know what? That's the way Christians need to be. We need to be gentle. We need to be people that are easily approached. I'm not like that most of the time. Most of the time I'm dealing with big, grisly, scary men that are causing me problems. And if you go into my office, it's not a good experience, okay? <laughs> That's the way it is. Uh, I had to, there, was, there was some guys breaking rules this week, and, and we had a couple of guys smoking. And uh, we didn't know how it was all happening. We didn't know what was going on. We just caught them because we test them and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we, uh, one of them that we tested, and he, he tested negative, he just basically got away with it. We didn't know how he was negative but he was negative and uh we 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 didn't know how the cigarettes came into the center we knew who was smoking but we didn't know who brought the cigarettes in but as god saw fit i had to bring that guy to a court case on thursday okay so he had to sit with me and drive out the bray to go to court for a warrant and, you know, in our handover in the, in the first thing in the morning, I told the staff, listen, it's not a coincidence that today when we're looking for a resolution about this issue, that God has saw fit that this guy has to sit with me all day in a court and in my car. And uh, I says, he'll confess before, before we get to court. You know, because half of them is going, he's going for a warrant. So half of them, he's going to want God on his side when he's going into the court. Number two, he's going to be terrified that if he doesn't tell me, then God's going to punish him or something like that. So I'm like, God has saw fit to have this happen. I said, we don't need to worry about it. We'll know by the end of the day what's gone on. So we pull out a, we pull out a car out of car park and we're driving down uh, the N81, the Talaboy Pass, and I already have a full confession. <laughs> already a full confession. I got them. This is when I got them. This is how I got them. This is the many I used. This is who I gave it to. And God already worked that out. So when I got to court, I was able to send the staff on the staff WhatsApp group and I'll text just say, God always works. You know what? Got a full confession. I was able to tell them. So we were all hilarious about the whole situation. But it just goes to show God knows. 
God knows he has a vested interest in what's going on. And it's not just a, you know, standing there looking down, hoping everything works out. No. God is playing his part. So let's look at that. The servant of the Lord is who you are and you need to play your part. Must not strive. Be gentle unto all men. Apt to teach. Patient. You need to be patient when you're dealing with people. Um, in meekness. Well, what does that mean, in meekness? Uh, it's Essentially, it's a quality of heart whereby a person is willing to accept and submit without resisting uh, to the will or desire of somebody else. In other words, you're just, in a sense, being soft, being who God wants you to be. It's not weakness, it's meekness. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Mark chapter 5. You know what? It says to be meek. It says instructing those that oppose themselves. So now you're introduced to the second person in our passage. So the first one is you, the servant of the Lord. The second one is the person that's opposing himself. In other words, by what he thinks and what he does, he's hurting himself. Okay? So um, it can be somebody that's lost. It can be somebody that's saved and they're not thinking right, whatever it is. But it's somebody that needs help, uh, somebody that's not saved. So they need you. And then you need to go and reach out to somebody that's hurting themselves, opposing themselves, because it says this. Then we're introduced to the third person in the passage, and that is God. And like I said, you can go out to a blinded person whose mind has been blind by the de- blinded by the devil, like the passage told us, and you can try to give the gospel, the wonderful, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are blinded to it. It doesn't make sense to them. But if God steps into the situation... Their eyes will be opened and they will see it and see their need of the gospel. And then you have very little part to play in the situation at all. And for those of you that have ever led somebody to Christ, you will know what that's like. It says this, if God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So whose job is it to open the blinded eyes? It's not the servant of the Lord. It's God. So as we go and try to be ministers, vessels of honor that God can use, we need to make sure we understand that we can't go alone. That's pointless. We need to go dependent, trusting upon God to meet the need that we can't meet. We need to be the physical presence that goes, and God needs to be the supernatural enabling power that opens blinded eyes. If God pre-adventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, And then it goes on. It says that they may, what's the next word? Recover. That's the word recover. It's a great word. It means that people can recover. They don't always have to be what they were. That they may recover, what's the next word? Themselves. There is a personal responsibility on the people that you're giving the gospel to, that God is working in their heart. He's opening their eyes. They still need to you know, bow the knee. They still need to trust Christ by faith, depend upon him to save them from their sins or to have them have a, a change of life. They are personally responsible. And what's the rest of the verse say? That they may recover themselves out of snare of the devil. So you had the servant of the Lord. You've had God. You've had the man that opposes himself. And now you have the devil. He is real, as real as God is, the devil is real. Are they on par? Absolutely not, but they are very real. The devil has blinded the minds of them which believe not, and he sets snares and traps to keep people in bondage 
all along life's road. And you as a servant of the Lord need to make sure you don't fall into those same snares. Uh, you need to make sure that you have the ability to teach, instruct, be skillful when you're teaching. That's what I talked about earlier. Not be arguing with people, but be helpful to people. And it says that, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Church, this morning I hope you realize that you have an important role to play. But we're not alone. We have the God who made the universe. Wants to walk with you. Wants to help you be all that he envisions you can be. You're not just making the most of what you have. Trying to make the most of the talents that you have. That won't do anything for, for the, the kingdom of God. God wants you to be a surrendered individual who just is available and willing to have your life turned upside down at times to share the gospel and be a gospel witness, to be a helper to those people in need around you, to be a helper and a support and encouragement, a challenge to the Christians around you that might be struggling at this time. And let me encourage you. This is for everybody. It's for everybody. God can use you. Let us close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this morning, for the lovely weather we've had. But Lord, uh, as we look at, our, at the needs around us, as we look at the country we live in, the world we live in, Lord, we are in desperate need uh, of uh, a, a fresh touch from heaven. Lord, a touch that would change us to the place where we would become sold out gospel witnesses for you. Oh, God, I pray that you would help each one of us to get to the place where we trust, where we know who we are in you, that we are Christian, that we are vessels of honor that you would see fit to use. So, Lord, I pray today as we go our way that this week will be a week of victory in our Christian lives. It will be a week where we see uh, you save people, where we see fresh people in church next week because we are bold enough to invite people out. Oh, God, would you give us the words to say? Would you help us to be careful about how we uh, present you? Lord, oh, God, would you go with us as we go witnessing? Would you go with us as we try reach out to this lost and dying world? And, Lord, if you're with us, we know we'll see great things happen. We know we'll see people torn into the cross, torn into you for uh, salvation. And, Lord, what a privilege and blessing it is that you have chosen us to be your ambassadors here on earth. So help us to be all that you want us to be. And Lord, empower our witness and our testimony, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.